0: Okay, okay. Thanks for the feedback, all the sarcasm. (laughs) Several of you told me how much you're enjoying the series, but the sermon title series is written by an academic. Well, what do you expect? (laughs) So we changed the name of the sermon right in the middle of the series to help you out because most of you couldn't believe in the beginning that Leviticus could be a love story. So we haven't gotten the new graphic yet, but we changed the title, The Love Story of Leviticus, Hearing the Heartbeat of God. And uh, I've said, and I'm going to say it every week, that Leviticus is the heartbeat, it's the heart and center of the Old Testament. If the Old Testament is a love story, and it is, why? Because God didn't give up on us, did he? He kept coming and pursuing us and helping us, and and we're going to see it very clearly in this chapter, and you're going, yeah, right, have you read Leviticus 11? How many of you read Leviticus 11? uh-huh well look at these things there are some that there are some animals that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof but you but you must not eat it the camel though it chews the cud does not have the divided hoof it is cere- ceremonially i'm having trouble reading it that's how hard it is how many of you have had devotions in leviticus 11 this week oh wow we got a lot more work to do. Okay, of all the creatures living in the water, then he goes through all the fish, and then he goes through the birds and the flying insects. And uh, wow. And that's a love story? How is that part of a love story? That's what we got to figure out. Okay, remember where we are. You can't, you can't think of this like you do from today's world. You have to remember that you're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, and the Lord is beginning to explain to you what it means for you to be a priest. What in the world does that have to do with diets? Okay? Or to say it another way, the end of Exodus, all those chapters talk about the the tabernacle and how to make it perfect. Then Leviticus 1-7 through is all the sacrifices and offerings and how to... Enter into the presence of the Lord. It's an invitation that the other nations didn't have. And how to have healthy community. Remember the fellowship offering? If I want to be thankful for something, I bring my bull down to the to the tabernacle, and I slit its throat, and we put the uh, guts on the altar for God, and you have to eat the whole thing before morning the next morning. There's only one way that can happen is if all of you come. So it's talking about community. The rest of the nations don't have this. So what I say to you is, hey, I want to thank the Lord because we just had a baby boy or a baby girl. And so come on down. It's like a barbecue. We all get to eat it together. God's teaching them through the offerings of how to have healthy community. And then you go to Leviticus 8 through 10. And what do you have there? You have the priest's how to do it correctly, and teaching us how what God's heart is about people and how we mediate for others and ultimately how we mediate for the world. Because you know what? God cares about every one of those people out there. He cares about this entire creation. He made it. It's his. He didn't stop loving us because we goofed up and sinned. Those of you that have kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? And, so, and then all of a sudden, these crazy rules on what you can and can't eat. What's it got to do with the three main? We just laid the foundation for the law, and now we have all these rules on food and diet and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. Well, remember what happens when God intervenes. Let's go back and talk about the, the heart that we have wants to do what's right, but it cannot. C.S. Lewis argued that it's a broken compass still a compass. It just can't find true north. I don't know of any example in world history, apart from Christianity, where culture has led us in the right direction. can't. It's always going to lead us off the cliff. You see, at the very beginning, God tried to protect us from this. He only had one rule in the garden. Only one. That's what we're like as humans, pretty fragile. Only one. And that's the one we decided not to keep. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why that tree? Because you're not created to know the difference between good and evil. To know the difference between good and evil, you have to have omniscience. Because I don't know your motives. I don't know your circumstances. So you show up for work late, and you say, your boss says, Look, If you're late again, I'm going to fire you. And you say, I'm really sorry, but my wife was in a bad car accident and almost died. I had to take her to the hospital. Oh, I'm really sorry about your wife. See how everything changed with one fact? I don't know all everything. I'm not God. Neither do you. And so none of us have the ability to exercise the judgment of good and evil very well. Very well. Somebody comes up and they're angry with me and they criticize me for something. I think, I think I wonder what it is that they're really angry about. I don't know if their spouse yelled at them this morning. I don't know if their boss chewed them out and they got fired. I don't, I don't know if I'm just the safest person for them to take it out on or if they're actually angry at me, so I have to process with them what, what, what happened. You know, what did I do? Sometimes they're not really angry at me. I just am convenient, and I'm okay with that. But the point is I don't know. And so the one thing God tried to protect us from was ourselves. Don't know the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know. I'm not omniscient. I don't know your circumstances, and I don't know your motives. Ever since that time, we think we've got it figured out, and we don't. We simply don't. I think we do. I love medical science. I understand why they call it practicing. I get it. Because they're not God. And they're learning every step of the way. How much more do we know now than 10 months ago about coronavirus? Do we know it all? No. Oh, no. There's still a lot of controversy out there, but we know a lot more. Right? 10 years ago, the doctor never asked me, "Uh, so how are you feeling about life? How's your sex life? You know, now I have a questionnaire. Answer all these questionnaires, you know, because they figured out somewhere that the spiritual and the emotional part of me and the psychological part of me is important. And what we're going to learn today is that so is the diet part of me. And that's one of the questions I ask today in my physicals. How's your eating? And so they're learning every step of the way. But when we go back 3,500 years, they knew nothing. Talk about a dark world. Imagine not knowing anything about science. Nothing. You had a heart that wanted to do what's right, but you couldn't figure it out. All the values that we take for granted today all have come through Christianity. Morality of murder, I've used that as an example. Prior to the Ten Commandments, 1450 B.C., we don't have a record that I know of in any of the law codes where they um, they talked about murder from a moral perspective oh they thought it was wrong had nothing to do with morality it's survival so if I kill one of your wives we're not going to get along very well but we have no problem killing the people across the valley no problem at all so murder wasn't a moral question it was just basic utilitarianism survival morality wasn't part of the world so imagine when they're sitting there, 1500 B.C., hearing this for the first time, and they don't know anything about science. We now know that God, in the dietary laws, was doing things like hygiene, good principles, and practice. We know that now, but they didn't know that. So he's teaching them to trust him. So he's got some fundamental things going on here in these, this chapter and all the following chapters. Remember, he just talked about the three big foundational pieces which are in the New Testament, okay? Spiritual temple, spiritual priesthood, believer priesthood, right? And living sacrifices, that's us. So these three big areas are there. Then he says, okay, now let's talk about food. Really? Is that where you would start? Food? Yeah, you know why? Because what he's saying is, let's now get down into the daily and hourly part of your life so that you can learn. So every time we see God intervene into our world, <coughs> He either steps in, <coughs> excuse me, steps in through uh, through speaking or through action. We're looking for three things, always looking for three things. The first one is He begins to mitigate evil practices, because how do we know? Okay, we're going to see that today in this chapter. Number two is He begins to introduce dignity. Because the world can't get there on its own. Because our dignity is established because we're made in God's image. And if the world doesn't know we're made in God's image, they can never conceive of dignity. And then the third thing is he starts to settle that compass and point to true north. Because he now says, do this and don't do this. And now we know. Because they, the, you're sitting there, you're sitting in the dark... And uh, you know all the practices of the ancient nations, all the divination practices of the gods. What we mean is the guesswork. They had to guess what the gods wanted. And our God comes down and says, this is what I want you to do, and here's why. Now they have a clear indication that that compass all of a sudden goes, ding. And not only that, it points the way toward the cross and the Messiah. Okay, so we're going to come back to Leviticus 11 in just a minute. But first of all, the framework is captured on either side of this chapter. In in, uh, Leviticus chapter 10, um, verse 10, he says, this is a lasting ordinance. He's just talking about ordinances. Verse 10, so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common Between the unclean and the clean, so that you keep talking to the priest, you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So he has these categories. You can distinguish between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean. And then, remember last week we said, as a priest, here's what the responsibilities of the priests are. One of them is we are to bring God out to the people. So when they teach them these ordinances, they're not teaching them rules, they're teaching them about God's heart. We're going to use this metaphor all the way through. okay? Right now, in this time of world history, they have a heart of stone. That's how the Lord thought of it. It's not until the New Covenant, when Jesus comes, that the Spirit in the New Covenant comes in and replaces that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so what he's doing in Leviticus is he's giving us the blueprint, if you will, of, of his heartbeat, of what it looks like. So if you've ever looked at a blueprint... You have to visualize a building. I'm not a builder. I'm not a contractor. I'm not an architect. I'm not an engineer. When I look at a blueprint, I just see a bunch of lines, some crossing each other and symbols, Xs. I don't know what they mean. But somehow from that piece of paper, we see a building appear, a house, an office building. He's giving us the blueprint, which when the spirit comes, turns it into a spiritual house. And here you are right here. Here we are. So he's giving us the blueprint, but it's not, it's his heartbeat of what's supposed to look like. It's not until the Spirit comes at Pentecost that we have a heart of flesh. And guess what? This new heart starts to beat. And now, because we have a heart of flesh and because we have the Holy Spirit, this now heart is beating like God's heart. Now we know. In Leviticus 11, and the dietary laws are, I believe, a critical part in getting there. It's an important part of the, the uh, design, if you will, and here's why. Okay, he starts off with two broad categories. Holy, so I'm going to walk across the stage. So, evil's over here, and holy's over here. He starts off with holy and unholy. Two very distinct categories. He's already teaching them just like a parent does with a child that through all of these things in our life that you're made for holiness. Can I remember the definition of sin? If I say to my four-year-old son, don't run out in the street or you're going to get hurt, that's an act of grace that's responsible. If I don't say anything to my son and he runs out in the street and he gets hurt, that's abuse. So, so God telling us don't do something is an act of grace. That's all sin is. It's an act of grace. That's all it is, okay? He's saying that there's a much better way. You're, you are created to be over here in the holy category, not created to be over here in the unholy category. Over here, you are happy. Over here, you may seem happy, okay? Sometimes you're not happy. This is where the world mostly lives. And you may think you're happy until you get over here and then you find out, wow, there was a lot more happiness than I realized. There's no alcoholic that's happy. You know why? They're stuck back over here. If God had not said alcoholism was sin, we just would have found it the hard way. That would be abuse. Though because he tells us, we now know to avoid it. And that's beginning right here. So then he takes this, this category here, the unholy, and divides it into two categories. You have the clean and the unclean. There's actually another category, the evil and the wicked. They're down here. We're not even going to talk about those. I don't think I have any of those here. Those are all the people that shake their fist in God and don't want anything to do with God. But for those of us that are here... The unholy is is captured in the categories of unclean and clean. And clean is what is common. That's what's natural to us. You still can't go into the temple or the tabernacle until you're holy. You're not allowed over there to enter God's presence. So he's not condemning and he's not judging. What he's doing is he's laying out a visual paradigm through food and all kinds of things. It's really funny because on February 14th, Valentine's Day... Jude says, Valentine's Day, what are you going to do on Valentine's Day? I said, hold on, let me look. Oh, that's on Leviticus XYZ, that's on discharges. She goes, yeah, there's no way you're talking about that on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but everything we look at, okay, what we're going to find out is God has, he's created this visual paradigm in every area of life. Holy is where he lives, and that's where we are happiest. Common is where we live and we're not paying any attention but then he takes the uncommon and divides it into two more categories: uncommon because of defilement and un, I mean unclean and unclean because of sin. So there's two more categories here. so now we've ended up with one, two, three, four categories, and fifth would be evil. So this is the un the unclean um, and he's created within this structure again, no judgment, no condemnation. This is where you guys live if you're not careful. You're going to be happier if you're here in the holy category. That's where you're happiest. That's where you find love, joy, peace, patience, all the fulfillment, the significance, everything right here. Most of us live in the clean, which is fairly mundane. This is where the world often lives. They go from here to here, back and forth. Okay? And they think they're happy, but they're really not. They're frightened. You know, managing this last ten, 10 months, we talked as elders. We're managing four, four poles, four categories here. Number one is science, okay, which is not in agreement. There's a lot of disagreement in science with this coronavirus, okay? But we have people that are really frightened and nervous because of the science of it, okay? And then the second one is politics. It's become very politicized, Everywhere you go, it's politicized. I told you, I read the headlines almost every day. And it's astounding to me that uh, what's disappeared from the headlines, pandemic. I'm not seeing anything on it at all. It's like, what happened? And so, but politics is frightening several of you. Then we have the third category, and that is the need for community. And some of you are figuring it out because you're, you're here today, that I need to be with people. I need it. And some are still away from people and they're especially nervous. Okay, it's not a criticism. It's just an awareness that we as elders and staff are navigating. And then a fourth one is faith. And faith, you can talk about faith in two categories, reckless faith and risky faith. I'm very risky. You see, faith by definition is risky. It's taking a step into the unknown. That's risk. Faith isn't about security. I'm going to back up where it's safe. That's not it at all. Faith is stepping into the unknown and having confidence in the Lord. That's risky, but I'm not reckless. I didn't become a pastor and elder to hide out in my house. So I have been on COVID floors with people. But I'm not reckless. They tell me what to put on, and I put it all on. And then I come out, I have to take it off with them watching and put it in the right category of, you know, um, baskets or whatever to put it in. Then they watched me while I cleaned my hands and then sanitized them before they let me go. Okay, well, I'm not going to be reckless, but I don't mind being risky at all. I became a pastor to go be with people and help them. So do you understand? Four poles. We're trying to manage that and navigate our congregation through this. Well, imagine if you didn't know the Lord. Imagine how hard that would be terrifying and so the world typically lives in the clean or unclean but that's all unholy only those who know the lord make it to here into the holy section and leviticus 11 tells us the beginning of how that happens how that all happens so now if you are part of the unclean okay uh, it's designed so that the, the way God designed it, again, it's not about judgment, not about condemnation. That falls on the evil. This is about, you have three categories, and it's possible to move from here to here and from here to here. But it's also possible because you're stupid to move back this way and get downgraded. Okay? That's what sinning is. It's just stupidity. Okay? But then as soon as you do it, you made it possible to come right back up. That's what all the offerings are all about, and now he's illustrating it in several chapters here. He's illustrating what that looks like. So, for example, if you are um, if you if you are unclean because of um, because of defilement, okay, that's disease. Okay, we weren't created for disease, so typically we're healthy, and all of a sudden we get some kind of disease. Now we're unclean. Okay. And he said, that's okay. The way you move with disease from here to here are through the purification rituals. So let's say you're here now, and then you have an affair with somebody you shouldn't have an affair with. Boy, you just moved here real quick. That's because of sin. So the way you move from here to here now is through the blood rituals. So the purification rituals and the blood rituals serve those two purposes, to move us from this unclean to this clean category. It doesn't make us holy. Okay, other rituals are for that. So, so to, the status of unclean was given because of sin or defilement, one of the two, okay? The sin rituals, um, they required confession and forgiveness. Do you know what the defilement rituals were all about? There's no confession. Washing. and when we get into these later chapters and you see what the surrounding nations were doing you're going to see wow talk about this is wonderful it is a simple procedure wash your hands have we heard that before how many of you have washing your hands now during this time I better see every hand go up especially you guys ok So if you're here because of sin, then you have to have confession and forgiveness, and that's part of the offerings, the burnt offerings, to move to here. But if you're here because of defilement, you got mold on your house, you picked up a sickness, a cold or whatever, clean your hands, wash, and you move from here. Okay, it's very simple, but these become very profound in just a minute under the New covenant. And you're going to see why. So how is this loving? It's loving because God wants us to live over here in the holiness category. And it's brilliant. It's like a children's picture book to give us a picture of what happens under a broken world. So that we understand. He's not trying to condemn or judge. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. I came to bring life. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 6, do not condemn, do not judge. This isn't about this. This is about you're in the wrong category. Get to the right category. Okay? I said all along for seven and a half years, you've heard me. I, it doesn't bother me what sin you're struggling with. I'm, never, I'm not offended. It doesn't bother me, except from the standpoint as a pastor of how can I help you? How can I help you what? Move from here to here. That's what? That's really what I'm interested in. There's no judgment involved. It's a matter of God desiring us to be here In the holy category, not down here in the unclean category. So this is a picture of God's love. And and we haven't actually talked about loving yet, but this is a picture of God's love, that he cares enough about us to show us how to move. He is our God, and he's a loving God, and he's going to help us. Most of his wrath is vented toward that fourth category. Not here, where we live. That's why it's loving. It's loving. And when you look, and all of this was designed to prepare us for the coming Messiah in the new covenant. For example, Ezekiel 36, when the Spirit comes, and Jeremiah 31, he's going to take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, so now your heartbeat can be the same as the Lord's. But furthermore, he says in Ezekiel 36, when the Spirit comes, it's going to be like cool, refreshing water that cleanses you. You are clean. So what do you say to Peter when he uh, washed his feet? You don't need to take a bath because you're already clean. And guess what we learn? When you turn to Christ, this category down here is no longer a category. Not for you. Because you are now clean because of the Holy Spirit. So now all that happens is we as believers, we clean. How do we move to here? so that we can enjoy life to the fullest in every respect. We no longer have to worry about this. That's where the world lives. That's not us. And we shouldn't show judgment and condemnation. We should do the same as what God did in Leviticus. How do we help them? Turn to Christ. So they began to experience the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. We become clean. They receive that heart. So when they learn to live as humans, as God created them and obey, they begin to experience the same heartbeat as God. That's why we're not a judgmental church. Okay, now the people down in that fourth category, we've got a lot of work to do with them. That's another sermon. <laughs> okay, that's why, do you see why Leviticus 11 is loving? It fits into the love story. How God is taking us. Every step of the way. Okay, what about the dietary laws? Let me say a few words about them. The, uh, the primary design of the dietary laws was to do two things. Number one was to distinguish them from the other nation. I'll come back and talk about that in a minute, how that happened. Okay, remember, here they're just like all the other nations. He gives them a command. Now they're one step away. He gives them a second command. Now they're two steps away, three steps away. He's making them different. Why? Because they're better? No that's not the reason he's making them different and holy so that they'll look in the darkness and say hey there's a light over on that mountain I wonder what's over there what group of people is that I want to go see that group of people he makes us holy so that we can fulfill his mission to love the world that's why and show them the truth because they live in darkness the people living in darkness have seen a great light that's at every Christmas story right that's us so, he makes us a holy nation. So, he's making them holy. And how does he do it? He does it over food. Do you know that close, uh, close relationships are formed most often over food? The closest relationships are people that eat together, families, friends. And by classifying all these animals, he's doing several things. He's teaching them that animals also have dignity, okay, and that he is God and gets to choose. But down to the core, he's saying you can't eat with people that don't eat like you. So in, in, in Nepal, they will eat rats. We don't, okay? So, and so he's saying you can't eat with those. The moment you begin to keep them from having meals together with their neighbors, then they're beginning to create separation. So at a very basic level, he is separating Israel from the rest of the nations through the dietary laws. Through the dietary laws. We know from the book of Daniel that when they eat healthy, they begin to even look better because you look healthy when you eat healthy. And he's teaching them how to eat healthy. Remember Daniel? They wanted to give him all of the, have him all the drink, all the wine and everything before he goes and meets the king. And he said, no, let me eat vegetables. You know? And he did, and he was the best-looking, he and his friends. It's interesting. I went to my high school reunion. I won't tell you which one. Um, but I joked with Nancy a lot and said, you know, you're going to meet all my former girlfriends, so better kick it up a notch. So we walked through the door, and and I'm looking around. I looked at her. I go, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> after 40 years, no, whatever number of years it was, after a number of years of drinking, smoking, being out in the sun... Oh, my goodness. But then I began to notice something unusual. Not all of them were like that. And, when I, and I made it a point, I'm a theologian, so I'm curious about these things, to go meet those people, and almost everyone had come to Christ. None of us were Christians in high school, but we come to Christ, and they had healthy diets. They took care of themselves, okay? Even that, you begin to stand out. And so it's designed so that the other nations will look and say, look at those people. Look how happy they are. Look how great their marriages are. Look how healthy they are in the midst of a world a lot of disease. What's going on over there? Let's go find out who their God is because our God doesn't help us with that. So at a very fundamental level, he separated them through the food rituals and at the same time, he made them happy because they're now in the holy category. Okay? It takes blood to get from clean to holy. And what did we learn a couple weeks ago? That Jesus has already taken care of all the blood offerings. The burnt offerings, the sin offerings. He fulfilled all those. Okay? So that's no longer required of us. So we no longer can exist in the category of unclean. We exist in the category of the clean. And now we learn by following him, that just naturally moves us to the Holy and that's where we find happiness. So, this paradigm is teaching them a lesson about reality that they cannot figure out. And he's giving them a picture of true north by doing it. The compass starts to settle down, if you will. And you know what? A couple of words about today. Still very important today. Peter's vision, Acts 10 and 11. Remember what happens? The sheep comes down with the unclean animals, and God says, Eat. And Peter says, Not a chance. It's really too bad he missed bacon most of his life. You know, not a chance. And the Lord had to do it three times to convince him. And even then he didn't understand what it meant. And he goes, what in the world does it mean that God's asking me to eat unclean foods? And um, and all of a sudden there's a knock on his door and it's a servant of Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, who said we had a vision that told us to come over here and knock on your door and you would tell us about God. And he The light bulb came on. The Gentiles, because remember, one of the reasons he did it was the Israelites were considered holy and the Gentiles were considered unholy. Not for judgmental purposes, but for attraction purposes. All right? And he just broke down that barrier. And Peter had to go back and tell all the leaders in Jerusalem, guess what happened? Astounding. And the Spirit came to Cornelius and his family just like he did with Peter at Pentecost. And so, what did Jesus say in Mark 7? He rendered all foods clean because it served its purpose. I'm still not going to eat rats, just so you know, and Campbell's. I guess if I was starving, I might. But the, the theological distinctions are now gone because it served its purpose because the new covenant has come the holy spirit has come so Jesus declared all foods uh clean first peter quotes in first peter 16 116 he quotes leviticus 11 be holy as your god in heaven is holy all right because that's where we find holiness this isn't about judgment this is about quality of life because We certainly weren't created for unclean. We naturally live here, but that's not what we're created for here. We're created for holiness, and this is where we find the greatest joy. And the foods was one of the very simplest ways to communicate this paradigm and begin to separate them from the other nations so that the other nations would look. Again, it's not judgment. It's to make the gospel attractive because they would look at us and say, why are you different? Why are your marriages so good? Why are you healthy? How come you don't get sick? And then you read, thanks, Barb, for reading 1 Corinthians 1013 and 1031. And whatever you do in food ordering, do it all for the glory of God, right? Do not cause anyone to stumble. See, there's that light being light in the world. So Paul has all the images in there about if food eating food offered to idols causes your neighbor, or your brother to stumble, or brother says, Don't do it. So now, all the food regulations take on a whole different reason. It's not so much about hygiene. We kind of got that one figured out now. It's now about being attractive, being an attraction, making the gospel attractive to somebody and not causing them to stumble. Not causing them to stumble. So you see how important Leviticus 11 is in the love story? You see what God is doing. He's teaching them in a very organic, simple way. You don't want to be down here in the unholy and the unclean. You don't even want to be in the clean. You actually want to go the distance and be in the holy because that's where you're happiest. Because he says, that's what I created you for. Because this is where he lives. Right here. Okay? Everywhere we go now in Leviticus, we're going to see this pattern emerging. So how did God limit evil practices? The nations had no regard for the animals. None. And he's beginning to establish respect. They just did whatever they wanted with the animals. God said, no, you can't do it. So at the same time, he's introducing dignity because they're more important, humans are, and he's showing them you're important enough. We've got to get this dignity down so that your neighbors will see it. And furthermore, every aspect of creation has dignity. So you have all the laws on how to kill, how to clean, how to bleed them out, how to do all of that. That's all wrapped up in there. But we're looking underneath the laws to get to the truth. And then he points us to true north, which is the coming Messiah. Father, thank you for just teaching us your ways and finding very, very creative and human ways to teach us ways and language that we understand. Now today when we look at that, Lord, I confess even today I get just kind of stymied by all the laws and the commands, but when I start looking underneath it, I can sense that heartbeat of yours that uh, you loved those people sitting there in the desert, the Israelites, and wanted them to learn the truth about holiness and the categories of food. Thank you. Thanks for loving us so much and never giving up on us and teaching us every step of the way how to, uh, to enjoy your presence. In your son's name we pray, amen. This concludes the live streaming portion of our service. For those of you watching online, thank you very much for joining us.